Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, your favorite podcast you didn't know you didn't have. Unless you've heard us before, then welcome back. My name is Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers, and together we're your maybe favorite? I hope so. Yeah. What it, are we doing if we're not? Yeah. What are you doing listening? Well, you can have multiple podcasts. It's fine as long as we're up there. We're your favorite, yeah. But if you are just tuning in for the first time, we're a podcast about film and craft beer. Every week we cover two craft beers and one movie. Uh, and, and that's ourselves. about it. And us, yeah. yeah. We're very full of ourselves. If you were tuning in to listen about the film Green Book this week, you don't have to worry about spoilers until the danger zone. We'll give you plenty of warning before we spoil anything about it. Uh, also, a little bit of housekeeping. If you want to get in touch with us or follow us on any of the social medias, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Fresh Hop Cinema. If you're a beer person, you can find us at un, or on, on Untapped at Fresh Hop Cinema. You can find us both on Letterboxd for movie stuff. Uh, if you're into that sort of thing, or you can email us at fhccast at gmail.com. And if you want to go the extra mile and be a super awesome person and support this podcast monetarily, you can do it for as little as $1 each and every week at patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. Yeah. Let's dive in. That's everything. That's everything. Uh, rate us, review us. Please. Now that's everything. I now think. that's everything. Also love me. Yeah. Um, I need, I need sure, love. Why not? Uh, let's dive in, dude. You've brought beers this week. Uh, I did. And I just want to start sipping. So Let's start sipping. what are we drinking first? I've never, I I would, I could read it, but I don't know what this beer is. So I think it's better if you tell us. Yeah, it's all good. This is a brand new brewery to our area. It's called Gilman Brewing Company. They're out of San Leandro, California. No, they're not. They're out of Berkeley. Oh, That's my bad. Of, oh, yep. well. Just saw it. God, what do I pay you for, dude? <laughs> Clearly, I don't do my job. Goodness gracious. For what it's worth, Berkeley's not so far from San Leandro. But it's also not the same place. That's exactly right. From <laughs> Berkeley. Yeah. So they're in Berkeley, which is dope, because I like Berkeley. Sure. My cousin works at the college there. So shout out to Berkeley. And they have just started getting distribution in our area. One of the distributors out of Sacramento picked them up within probably the last month. Just started seeing them on shelves. So... Obviously, we like that new new, so we jumping all over it, yep. and we are breaking in with their flagship West Coast IPA called Quarter Panel. Quarter Panel, yeah, clocking in at six and a half percent, sixty nine IBUs, and we're gonna see how it goes. And let's see what their website says. It says this is a modern West Coast style IPA with a light body and aggressive bittering, massive tropical dank and citrus aromas and flavors from huge late editions of Amarillo, Simcoe, and Mosaic hops. So this beer pretty much says all the right words for me to enjoy it. Yeah. So have you ever had it before? Nope. Cool. Me neither. This is going to be my first taste of anything from this brewery. Yeah. I On my first taste, it is very aggressive. But according to that description, it's exactly what they're going for. This is super drinkable. Oh, that's good. Real light, very traditional West Coast. You're getting no juiciness from those new age, hazy hippies. Mm -hmm. This is straight up. West Coast IPA, and I think it's pretty good. I really like this beer. This is absolutely as advertised. I mean, it's like if you smell it, even like it's a, it's a rare thing I find to to get a beer that is so hoppy on the nose. Like mm -hmm. That's all. It's just hop yeah. punch punch in my nose. I love it, man. That's what West Coast IPAs were at their beginning, and that yeah. was when they were their most popular. They were just giant, super aggressive, punch you in the mouth. Yeah. Uh, hot bombs. Yeah, this is the this is the kind of IPA that if you give it to somebody who's never had an IPA before, they will not like it. Which I think is a great quality in an IPA because that's when I like you're saying like when I first had an IPA, it was like oh man, like that's just a whole other level 
of hops that I've never experienced before. What was the first beer you drank that gave you that feeling? Mine was Stone IPA. Mine was Stone IPA. Uh, it was either Stone IPA or it was... No, it was um, Ruination. I remember you told Ruination. me this. Or mine was. I think yours was yeah. Ruination. Or it was um, Arrogant Bastard. Okay. Uh, I can't remember. It was one of those. The uh, Green Label Stone for me was okay. like, oh, whoa, it's, okay. Yeah, man. Because I had ventured into like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, obviously, because where we live. Sure. Uh, but like maybe I don't think I'd even had torpedo at that time. And then I had that and it was like, like, hello, Oh, this is a different thing. Yeah. You mentioned, you were saying that this is what, these were the style of IPAs when IPA was the most popular though. I would argue that it's probably because of the expansion of the style. It's probably more popular now than it was at least drank by more people. Yeah, definitely. Like globally. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in, when I was starting to get into beer, this was the popular style. This was the thing, man. Yeah. There was no such thing as a hazy beer, and it was yeah. all about the West Coast. It's wild how how quickly, relatively, if you consider like the the start of craft beer being in the 80s with Sierra Nevada. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm pointing uh, east. Nobody can see me. What is farther east? Uh, also kind of ground zero for craft beer. Uh, Dogfish Head, maybe? Does that sound right to you? Could be. Uh, I think it was them. I think they were both kind of in the, the mid-80s started making beer. Okay. Yeah. But I know Firestone's pretty old too. Yeah. But like from then, like where beers come today and like how readily available you can find craft beer and mm-hmm. the various styles and even resurgences of old styles like Belgian old ales or Saisons or whatever it might be. Pretty I was, interesting. I was at a gas station, like like a two pump gas station, and they had cans of yeah. uh, barrel aged ten fifty. That's what? Yeah. Where? Just in, here in town. Like in town? Yeah. yeah. That's Just nuts. stuff like that. It's like you wouldn't have seen that because that beer was a whale two yeah. years ago. Yes. And now it's just on shelves. Yeah. When we almost when we started this podcast, we split a case of that because mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to get. Yeah. And now you can find it. It's just sitting there. Like yeah. I could drive ten minutes down the road and pick yeah. up as much as I want. What a time to be alive! It's a great time. Yeah. But it is weird how it goes in phases because it was this for a while and then it went to like bigger beers. There was like a double IPA, then a triple IPA, then sours were big, then barrel aged stouts. You know, yeah. and now hazy. It's just yeah, it's all just a cycle and, coming around. And then pastry stouts, and now like loggers and pilsners. loggers are coming back. Yeah, there's a logger festival in, is there right? in L.A. So huh. yeah, Barry Essa puts out a. I think it's called Free Kittens. It's a rice lager. Yeah, it? it's very tasty. It's pretty good, man. It's super drinkable. Yeah, it's like almost like the market's reaction or like kind of response to people just getting burnt out or like palate wrecked out of all these. They're like, well, here's something mellow and easy. Yeah, I saw a fun meme about like the evolution of a craft beer drinker, and it was like. You know how the evolution scale goes from like prehistoric man like yeah, to standing, and it right. was like IPAs, double IPAs, barrel aged sours, barrel aged stouts, pilsners. Yeah, <laughs> it's not not wrong. It all comes around, and you know I kind of have been hit or miss on the hazy IPAs. Like I was out at a bar doing trivia night. Shout out to the Chico Tap Room for putting on amazing trivia night. Yeah, they're doing. I was in there the other night before uh, before I saw Green Book. Okay. Right by the theater. Yeah. I don't know why you should go there. You should go there if you're going to see a movie and you have a chance to get a beer before the movie. Why would you not do that, you nincompoops? Totally. Yeah, all right. Uh, but anyways, they had a couple good hazies, but I wasn't in the mood, so I ended up drinking uh, Hot Bullet. Oh, nice. So you're I just want a classic. clear IPA. Yeah. Uh, and then we did try one from uh, New Glory. Sure. But Didn't? Yeah. Yeah. Great. All that to say, I'm a huge advocate of just the traditional West Coast-style hot bomb of an IPA. And this beer really reminds me of the beers that I was drinking when I was really developing my initial craft beer palette. And that's probably why I have such an affinity for this style, even still. Like yeah, it's it's just that's fair. It's a go-to for me. It's like what I want most of the time when I go to a bar. Yeah. I would say also the drinkability of these, you'd think, because you have that initial sort of 
smashing your palate. Mm -hmm. But after that happens, it's that's where you're at. It smooths out. Yeah. And like, that's what you're dealing with the whole time. Uh, versus like a sour where I think you have a couple sips and then the more you drink, the the harsher it starts to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the drinkability on a West Coast IPA is second to almost none. Seriously. Maybe a lager. But. Yeah. And for me too, I like, I like grabbing these beers because usually when I'm buying beers for my house, it's stuff that's ageable. Yeah. So like when I go to a bar, I pretty much, unless there's a stout that I really have to try, I'm all yeah. about the, the hops. Yeah, right. Just because you don't buy them. And with like Amarillo, Simcoe, and Mosaic, I feel like those three hops in particular, at least for me, are ones that come up on this show a lot is like some of my favorite hops, Mm -hmm. uh, especially the Mosaic. I love Amarillo hops. Yeah, right. The earthy, dusty. I love it, man. Yeah. Terra Firma. Yeah. And that last week. Terra Firma, bro. Yeah, bro. Uh, This is good, man. Um, Do you want to rate it yet or do you want to drink it a little bit more and then then rate it? No, I'm actually, I'm good with rating it. I have strong feelings about this beer. I think it's a nine. Mm. I'm gonna and because it, it was like three bucks for the can. Oh, I was gonna ask you that too. Yeah, rocking a 16 ounce can. That's so three bucks, really. That was like three or, three or four. It was either two ninety nine, three ninety nine, somewhere right in there. Where'd you pick it up? Uh, I got this one at New Earth this week. Cool, but I've seen this beer all over the place. They have a hazy double called Fuzzy Dice that looks pretty cool. But uh, if you listen to any of what I just said, you know this is where I'd recommend starting. Sure. So yeah, it's a solid entry level. West Coast IBA. This is uh, it's great. I'd buy this for my house for yeah. sure. I'm so a nine for you. Yeah, it's a nine. I love it. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. I, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna take one more drink because I'm gonna throw out a number and I think you might question my reasoning. So I'm gonna take one more little sip here. I'm gonna question most things that you do. Um, I'm gonna say eight. That's a really high rating. It's for very you. high rating. I don't question that at all. All right, great, cool. Because I don't know that I could defend it super well. Yeah, it's, it's a really good beer. Well, why um, isn't it a nine? Yeah, here we go. Or why isn't it a ten? You, you um, said it, not me. I don't know. It's uh, they're just. It's still not my favorite style of beer. It's a really well made West Coast. I just uh, I get tired of them. What is quickly. your favorite style of beer? Thanks for asking me that. Um, I think my favorites are probably like a really solid stout, um, like the one we drank um a couple of weeks ago. The Nutty Operator, uh, was really good. Even though, and I remember I saw it on tap somewhere. That was a porter. No, it wasn't. And I, that's what I said. Gianna ordered it. We were out uh, talking about our wedding. And I, I said, it's a brown ale. And she's like, no, no, no it's a stout. Mm. On the board. And I was like, no, it's like, there's no way it's a stout. I thought it was a porter. Maybe I, I could be wrong still, but I'm pretty sure. Um, I'll look it up real quick. But but like a solid stout doesn't have to be barrel aged or like a really clean. No, it's a stout. Yeah, it is, right? Okay. Um, Or like a really just uh, clean and smooth. Like, I mean, I hate to jump on the bandwagon, but like a solid hazy has really got my. Yeah. Yeah, it really got me going in the past, I don't know, like for a year now. It's been just really solid for me. It's not a bandwagon if your your palate and what that's, you're in, I mean, that's true. What you're enjoying, you know? Yeah. Because you could honestly spin that argument around and say that I've been on the West Coast IPA bandwagon forever. Oh, that's but true. It's just not the in vogue style right now. Yeah, but that's fair. We like what we like. Yeah. All right. Well, eight for me, nine for you. Quarter panel from Gilman out of Berkeley. Incredibly high ratings for both of us. Yeah, go so. get it around town if you're in Chico. Um, I'm sure if you're near Chico, uh, you'll be able to find it. Yeah. Um, and I don't. I'd be curious to know how far out they distribute. So if you're listening to this in a different state, maybe, uh, and you see this beer, let us know. I'd love to know how far the distribution does go. Yeah, I know they just got picked up by the company I used to work for, so their footprint's pretty big. But yeah, as far as out of state, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. It depends on how big Gilman is. But right. I mean, since we're just now hearing about them, right? I would true. assume it's probably just in California, but. Mm. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you're in California, but I would highly recommend picking this up. Yeah. So do it if you like. Uh, We're moving right along, guys. 
we're jumping into flick picks. And if you've been paying attention to the, the, the world of film lately, you know that it's Oscar season, or maybe you just know that anyways. Um, and we have mentioned on the show that we are going to try to cover as many of these films as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so though we are doing green book this week for our featured movie, so to speak, uh, I did want to touch on the favorite. That's going to be my flick pick of the week. Um, it's another really uh, Oscar buzzy type film. The flick of the week. The flick of the week. Uh, it's been nominated for 10, 10 Academy Awards. I'll read through them really quickly. Uh, best Picture, Best Actress, Supporting Actress, uh, two Supporting Actress nominations actually for Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone. Best Director uh, for Irgos Lanthimos. Best Original Screenplay, Cinematography, Costume Design, Editing, and Production Design. See, I could see costume jumping out. Definitely. It being a period piece. Yes. Um, this movie being a clear favorite for that. But yeah. I look... Oh, a clear what? Clear favorite. Oh, oh. Wow. I would be curious to see what the other nominees in that category are. Yeah. Uh, for costume, you said? Yeah. Not that it super matters, but like that's one I could see it just winning like easily. Yeah. I'll look it up. I can't find it at the moment, but Doesn't we can matter. find it. Yeah. So, Young Maxwell, give me your initial thoughts on this movie. So this is a, if you've seen any of the other movies from Lanthimos, he's done films such as The Lobster. Uh, the Killing of a Sacred Deer. I'm sure others, but I haven't seen the others. I've seen those two. He's got a very specific aesthetic and sort of tone that all of his movies take, almost this like surreal sort of um, like weird uh, single space drama a lot of the time. Um, so I wasn't sure what to expect going into this one, but I was happily surprised. I think there, there's really strong performances in this. I've been looking forward to it for quite a while. I missed it when it was at the pageant uh, here in town. And it's it's a very dense movie, I think, thematically, similar to like Aroma would be. It's very artsy and, and certainly not for everybody. Um, but there's a lot to digest. And I, I feel like maybe an hour and a half out of the movie, I'm not quite there. But I do really appreciate it. I think um, Olivia Coleman should, of course, be heavily considered as as the, uh, what the hell the thing's called, the actress. Best actress. Thank you. Couldn't think of the word best um, Life, you know, words are hard, man. Yeah. Um, but he takes this really weird, the director does, uh, approach in like, there's a lot of like fisheye sort of mm. big angle shots, almost like a GoPro in the corner of a room. And there's these crazy whip pans that happen. You'll be facing one end of the room as somebody enters and then like a super quick immediate 180. And there's these weird moments that happen like that through, throughout the entire movie. You got that 1800s fisheye. Yeah, dude, it's nuts. <laughs> um, so that, that's weird too. It's like the just juxtaposition of sort of modern look with this clearly not modern setting. Is that like Baby Driver Carriage Edition? Yeah, right. Um, I don't know that it should be nominated for Best Editing, by the way. I don't feel like that was... Uh, so is Green Book, by the way, which I definitely don't feel like should be, but that's another conversation. Which we're about to have. Yeah, I do think a lot of these nominations are very deserved, though. Um, Emma Stone's fantastic. Rachel Weisz is fantastic. Um, it's a really strange movie. Okay. Um, a lot of power dynamic stuff. A lot of uh, power dynamic stuff between women, too, which yes. is interesting and could be written and filmed in a very intriguing and possibly empowering way. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about... So Queen Anne is is who Olivia Coleman plays, and she was sort of a, a not-super-remembered uh, monarch of England. Um, it was during this time where there was a, a war going on with France, and that's the essentially all we get. Um, she's this very eccentric queen. She's got a lot of health problems, um, a lot of emotional and mental health problems, I think. Um, so, so the story kind of centers around her and then right outside of her immediate proximity are Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone respectively as her like main kind of, uh, confidant and helper. And then Emma Stone kind of works her way up from being a kitchen 
cook sort of thing. Okay. Um, but what's interesting is like, it is a, a movie about these women surrounding, uh, them is like this huge parliament of men. And, and it's, it doesn't, it's not something I would necessarily call a movie about that. It's definitely more about their dynamics interpersonally, but it does play a factor. Okay. I have questions. I love questions. All right. I have three questions. Okay. I want to, you to tell me why I should see this movie. Oh, uh, well, I mean, my number one reason is that we do this, we do this show uh, <laughs> and it would be really good to see it. And we've talked about seeing the, but I know what you're asking. Pretend I'm not your co-host. Yes. Yeah. Why um, should anyone go see right. this movie? It, this is a movie that's certainly most, uh, well, I don't want to say most, but a lot of people won't like. It's, uh, oh, it's, you're selling it good. It's, I'm getting there. It's, it's the jab sets the hook. Mm. But the people that would appreciate this are people that appreciate film and, and the art of making movies. And I think there's a lot of that to be enjoyed here. Um, and if you look at it from a cinematic approach, it's extremely well done. And if you like good performances, there's three of the best of the year in here. All right. That leads me to my next question. Love it. Out of the three women nominated for Academy Awards, one wins. Tell me why and who. Ooh, okay. So so the two supporting actresses are the, the ones that I would have the hardest time with because Olivia Coleman, I think, deserves it. But saying any of the three of them, you have to pick one of Man. them to win. I'd ha I mean, I'd have to go Olivia Coleman. I mean, yeah. she goes above and beyond in this. It's crazy. She has these. She's a very erratic character. Queen Anne is, um, just just bouncing off the walls from being extremely hurt and sensitive to just lashing out in anger and kind of bipolar. -y. Even more like if what's like tripolar, quadpolar. I don't know how many. Mm. She's just got a huge range of emotion. She could have like borderline personality disorder. Yeah, but I think it's more more given to like her state of just loneliness and um i don't want to give much away about the movie but you do get some some exposition about her backstory okay throughout it but i, I think i'd have to give it to her i mean she really she commits it's so, nuts so out of the three best performance elizabeth uh, olivia coleman olivia coleman yeah yeah all right all right yeah uh and I think, but they're, they're also good but okay. yes but yes uh and i don't want a rating i want good. simply a thumbs up or thumbs down thumbs up Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely thumbs up. Um, I would, I need to sit on this for a little bit cause there's just so much to take in. Um, but it was, uh, it was intriguing to watch, which is not something I can say about most movies. Okay. Uh, last question. Would you take her over the gal nominated for best actress for Roma? Ah, uh, Yelitsa Aparicio, right? Yes. Man, those are both such good performances for different reasons. Um, I think, I think that Olivia Coleman had more to work with, um, and I think she uses it well. But I also think that Aparicio had did a great job with what she was given. Um, ah, man, I would. Uh, man, that's a tough question. You're on the Oscar panel, and you have to cast your vote, and it's down to those two who gets your vote. <sighs> Gut feeling. Olivia Coleman. Okay. Yeah. It's it's just a it's for me a little bit more of a magnetic performance. Though maybe not quite as uh, rich with humanity. Like you don't quite relate to Olivia Coleman. She's crazy. She's eccentric and, and weird. And Do you relate to her more because she was speaking English? Oh, uh, no. No, I'm saying I don't relate to her more. I'm saying I relate to her less. Mm. Um, just because like, she, well, A, she's royalty and she has all these crazy demands and servants and um, basically the polar opposite of of somebody uh, like Elisa Aparicio. I can't think of Cleo. Um, but again, like, totally different movies. Neither would have worked in each other's film. Yeah. Um, they're both of those films are so stylistically, um, themselves 
that it's it's impossible almost to compare the two. It's it's apples and oranges, I think. But um, hmm. stronger performance for me probably goes to to Olivia Coleman. Nice. All right. Yeah. So that's the favorite. The favorite. I am very excited because this year it seems like the Oscars have some actually really good movies in the best yeah, picture category. I think so too. And there's always one or two that you're like, oh, that's actually a really beautiful film. It's like, it's deserving. I mean, I'm thinking back to like when Moonlight won, mm. now that I've seen it. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's nice to to get through some of these movies and absorb them and have kind of dogs in this race, yeah, if you will. Totally. And know that there's some really high quality filmmaking being honored even with nominations. So Agreed. Very excited for the Academy Awards this year. Johnny, what do you have for Flick Picks this week? I actually have a couple things to touch on. I'm going to get one out of the way really quick because I'm probably going to be talking about it for weeks to come. Uh, I just started a journey into The Sopranos. Okay. On the 20th anniversary. I figured it's been long enough. Read or listened to uh, Fresh Air about the 20-year anniversary. I said, screw it. Diving in. It's really good. Uh, Character development and writing are way better than I thought they would ever be. It's as much about a man dealing with his family than mafia stuff. So that'll be fun. Great. Uh, What I do want to talk about for a minute, because it's kind of in the zeitgeist of America right now, is all of the the Fire Festival documentaries. Oh, have you watched that? I watched the one on Netflix, and I cannot wait to watch the one on Hulu. Uh, but I did watch the one on Netflix. You got to explain what fire is. Okay. So there was this guy that decided to start a music festival. Yes. And he partnered with Ja Rule, you yep. know, the rapper. Sure. I think he was in a couple of the Fast and the Furious movies, maybe. I don't yeah, remember I don't exactly. Uh, but they basically sunk like $25 million into trying to make this giant music festival happen in the Bahamas. On what? And I don't really know this. I haven't watched the documentary. Wasn't it on like a, they were going to make an island? The whole plan initially was to purchase an island that was formerly a private island that belonged to oh the the oh my gosh uh, descriptive Give no me. the 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 drug guy that uh, from the uh, South America there's been s- so many shows on him lately the one that you like with the narcos that guy yeah that guy what's his name I don't know Pablo Escobar yes uh, it was one of Pablo Escobar's islands uh, and so they initially bought that but they signed a contract that said. They can buy it, but they can't use Pablo Escobar's name in any of the advertising. Oh, man. Like the first thing they did was like tweet out that it was Pablo Escobar's island. Right. So halfway through this process, they lose their island. Um, they eventually end up getting like this little tiny piece of land on a resort island in the Bahamas that's like surrounded by other resorts. And it's a catastrophe yes. that should have been given up on like a hundred <laughs> times along the way, but it's but just dreams, the, man. Come this on. Dude's dream. And like the fact that he's got like $25 million sure. of money sunk into this, that there's no return on and people get on planes and go there. And it is the biggest disaster I've ever seen. You yeah. have hundreds of people that have paid thousands and thousands of dollars to go there that like paid for a beach cabana and they get like a hurricane survival tent. That's awesome. I love it. And they bust everyone in and didn't tell them where they were going. And it, dude, it's like my worst nightmare because you're in an unknown environment. You like are just getting bussed around. At one point, after the whole thing just went kaput, they everyone was trying to fly out and they hadn't hired any planes to leave. Oh no! For like <laughs> the end of the weekend. <clears throat> so at one point. Like, I think a hundred people or something got locked in the airport. They wouldn't let them leave. Yeah. Like it was all over the news and I guess Twitter blew up with it when it happened. I wasn't really involved in Twitter or just didn't pay attention when like this was actually happening. 
So it's really interesting watching the the dock and seeing all of this car crash happen. Yeah. Um. So I was massively entertained by that. I'm on to watch all of the documentaries mm-hmm. they have about it right now because it's just like this story of like kind it's a of moment in our culture, everybody. Yeah. Like this is where we are as a people. And a lot of it is like super, uh, super like upper class rich, like trust yeah, fund kids, sure. like being upset that their weekend didn't go how they wanted it. But also like looking at it from a common quote unquote person's perspective, like that would have been a terrible weekend. There's no looking at this from a common person's perspective. There's no way. I don't. I don't know anybody that like could ever have ended up in that situation. Ever. 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 There was uh, this one post that this dude. That I read about it on Reddit. There's an article about this guy that like won a raffle and like got a round trip ticket and like a ticket to the festival. And he's like, I had a great time. Minus that guy. Yeah. yeah. Minus that guy. Yeah. But there's no way to not look at this with a lens of privilege yeah. Yeah. for sure. But it's a fascinating documentary. And F Y R E, everybody. That's like, what's that stand for? That, I don't know, but that's how they spelled it. Oh. So just so everybody know. Oh, you thought I was being like, all right, everybody, lesson number one. Yeah. No, I'm saying they didn't even spell it like actual fire. No. They spelled it F Y R E. So if you look it up, look it up that way, is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It was really entertaining and it was just head scratching for me. Like, this dude just pushed it and pushed it and ignored everyone around him's advice. Yeah. It was just, it's amazing. Check out that documentary. It's called Fire, F-Y-R-E, yeah. Yeah. and it's it's on Netflix. It's really good just background noise if you want to just be half in and just be like flabbergasted by human stupidity. Yeah, man. It's, man. That's, I'm going to check it out. I saw it. I was uh, When we get to Hot and Bother later in the show, I'm going to talk about something I've been watching. Uh, but I almost clicked on Fire, but I clicked on the other thing instead. Word. Not mad about it, but yeah, I'm going to watch that now also. It was a fun watch. It's not going to change your life, but it will definitely entertain you. Yeah. So, and it's it's in the the social atmosphere right now, so it's worth mentioning. Great. Uh, well, on that note, we're going to get to a movie after this break that I think Johnny and I are going to disagree on fundamentally, and I'm very excited for that conversation. I can't wait. So hopefully you are too. Please don't go anywhere. We're going to come back with no spoilers for Green Book. Hey, if you're in the mood for some delicious food and a great deal on happy hour draft beers every single day from 2 to 6 p.m., you should check out The Handlebar, located right here in Chico, California. He's not wrong, everybody. Check out The Handlebar. They're at 2070 East 20th Street, right by Best Buy and Winco. And like Johnny says, they have a happy hour seven days a week from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. You get a dollar off all of their draft beers. They have an amazing lineup. I don't understand why you wouldn't do this, so go do it. Again, seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m., a dollar off every single draft beer at The Handlebar. Go check them out. Yeah. Some guy called over here, a doctor. He's looking for a driver. You interested? I am not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I'm about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South. What other experience do you have? Public relations. Do you foresee any issues in working for a black man? You and the Deep South? There's gonna be problems. Promise me you're gonna write me a letter. Promise. Tell me that don't smell good. I've never had fried chicken in my life. You people love the fried chicken. You have a very narrow assessment of me, Tony. Yeah, right? I'm good. Interacting with some of the wealthiest people in the country. It is my feeling that your addiction could use some finessing. Why you break my balls? Because you can do better, Mr. Balalonga. Dear Dolores. I saw Dr. Shirley play the piano. He 
He's like a genius, I think. Come on, take it easy. I prefer not to get grease on my blanket. Ooh, I'm gonna get grease on my blanket. This gentleman says that I'm not permitted to dine here. I'm afraid not. How does he smile and shake their hands like that? Because it takes courage to change people's hearts. All right, everybody, that is a trailer, or at least part of one, for a film called Green Book, starring Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali. This is directed by Peter Farrelly. He has been known for such films as There's Something About Mary, Dumb and Dumber 2, Shallow Hal, Osmosis Jones. And yeah, I stacked that line up a little bit when I wrote those notes, but now also Green Book. Uh, Green Book is a story about Don Shirley. He's a world-class African-American pianist who is about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South in 1962. In need of a driver in protection, Shirley recruits Tony Lip Vallelonga, a tough-talking bouncer from an Italian-American neighborhood in the Bronx. Despite their differences, the two men soon develop an unexpected bond while confronting racism and danger in an era of segregation. Uh, this film came out on November 16th. As of the 30th of January, it's made about $50 million. It runs two hours and 10 minutes. It is rated PG-13. It is a buddy buddy comedy drama, I would say, uh, with a production budget of $23 million. And it has also been nominated for five Academy Awards. And they are Best Picture, Best Actor for Viggo Mortensen, Best Supporting Actor for Merha- Mer... Yes, ah. Adele Tazim. Mahershala <laughs> Ali. Yeah. Good grief. Uh, editing and Original Screenplay. Okay, so we've both seen this movie now. I saw it last night. When did you see this? I saw this on Monday. Okay, I love that. Uh, I don't know. Who Do you want to talk first? Do you want me to? Uh, I will talk first because I think I liked it and you didn't. Yes. So let's go That's with correct. that. I enjoyed this movie. I thought it made me feel nice. I thought it was a good story. I thought it took on the issue of becoming a bit more wise about issues of race relations. Uh, They didn't make it too macro. I really liked the portrayal of just a simple relationship between two people getting to know each other that don't look like each other and learning from each other and about each other. Uh, It reminded me of the relationship of the two football players in Remember the Titans, Mm -hmm. which I loved. Uh, I really like the approach of uh, the micro, just looking two dudes in a car. So overall, I enjoyed this movie. I liked the the story arc. I thought it didn't try and do too much. I was entertained. It was a feel-good movie, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Fair enough. Uh, I think I think that's the, the point. I think that's the purpose of this movie. I think it's – well, I say I'm torn. I can't even say that. I was going to say I think the purpose of this movie is to be enjoyed and just like to be a feel-good road adventure movie between friends. Kind of, yeah. Um. So I guess, no, I did not like this movie. Um, I think it was, uh, at, at its, at the very least troublesome. Is that cause you're racist? I think it's because I'm aware of uh, racism. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, obviously you're not racist. So I think it's important to like the way they set up Viggo Mortensen's character. Uh, we get introduced. So he's, yeah, like it said in the description, he's a, he's an Italian American guy living with a big traditional Italian family in the Bronx. Um, which, by the way, the second that started, I was like, man, I, I just am not in the mood for it for some reason. <laughs> like, I like, I don't know. I Bad Italian accents for me are, are pretty tired at this point. Anyways, there are two uh, African-American dudes that come to, like, fix their sink, I think. And then Viggo Mortensen's wife, whose name I did not jot down, um, gives them, like, lemonade. 
And then they finish with lemonade, put the glasses in the sink. And then he's like so disgusted that black people used his glasses that he like picks them up very delicately and like throws the glasses away, which I'm fine with at this point. Cause I'm like, okay, this is clearly a very racist guy. This movie is going to be him overcoming that. One of my big problems is like, that's never really addressed. Like that happens. Then it's like, he gets interviewed by Mahershala Ali's character. And he specifically asks, like, do you foresee any problems working for a black man? He's like, nope, it's all, as long as the money's good, I'm good. And even at that point, it's like, maybe this is, maybe he's just lying and maybe this will come out later. I think if you're going to set up a character to be that overtly racist, you need to deal with the repercussions of that racism. And A, I don't think this movie does that. B, I don't think the movie's concerned with the fact that they don't do it. I think for some reason, they're just relying on us as an audience to like, latch on to uh Valalonga as like this hardworking goofball who like we can all relate to. And, and as long as we're just person to person, the bigger issues of racism don't apply. Like we're all just like, I'm going to fishtail here. I'm trying to stay concise. Um, okay. I just think, I think that this is a movie that presents itself with adult themes and addresses those themes as if it's a kid's movie. Mm. I think if this were a kid's movie, I disagree so hard. The, well, I'm looking forward to talking about it. But I think the, uh, like the way they present it by the end, it's just like, we just need to be nice to each other and that will cure decades and hundreds of years of racism. And like, that's what you have to do. And as a kid's movie, great message. Kids could totally get behind that. For me, it was not nearly complex enough, nor did it. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, I don't know. So let's say deal with again, but didn't deal with, the issues it presented in a satisfying or even uh, fulfilling, uh, completing type of way. It just kind of brushed over a lot of things for me. And that was tough for me. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think you're wrong. Sure. Tell me why. <laughs> uh, mainly just, I, I think I looked at it from a, a little bit of a different perspective. I actually kind of saw a lot of myself in Viggo Mortensen's character because he grew up around people that, were racist sure. and i think his character was not racist i think his character was ignorant so what about that first scene with the glasses as a great it example. was in front of all of his family that are like the most racist in the movie i think that was more for them than for anything just to be clear you're saying that if you act racist and you are a racist in front of people but you don't feel like a racist you're not actually a racist correct i think you're ignorant and you're trying to just you're it's learned behavior. And I feel like this whole movie is about Viggo Mortensen learning about other people and realizing that everything he knows isn't true because he's never been around anyone that doesn't look like him for more than a few moments. So I saw a character that was raised in ignorance and in, in racism, and he has just got a lot of assumptions. Uh, you know, and then when I say I see a lot of myself in him, is that I was. I grew up, a lot of my teenage years were, were spent in an area where the racism was very prevalent. And like, if you are around that and you don't spend any time with anyone that's a minority of any kind, uh, you have nothing to instill in your mind any ideas other than the ones that you're absorbing from the people around you. So if you grew up in this racist Italian family, never spent any time with any minorities and never got to know anyone of a different color, um, there's a level of ignorance because he's not an idiot in this movie. He's ignorant. See, and I would argue that point too, because I feel like for every every bit of evidence we're given in the beginning, he is an idiot. I mean, like, he's an idiot in the fact that he is not the most intelligent. He's sure. not. It's displayed very clearly that he's not very book smart, Yes, but he's also not 
unintelligent? I don't know, man. Because I like, was, I mean, it depends how you measure intelligence. Obviously, yeah. like he, he, they make a point in the beginning for him to be like, when I, I got the name Lip because I was a good, a good bullshitter, and I could. Basically, he's saying he has people skills. Yeah, he could, which is a which is I think a very viable form of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, like definitely not book smart. No. So I think that's what that's the distinction you're making. exactly. Yeah, he's I not going to score very high on an IQ test, but he will survive just fine in life. You know, in the working <clears throat> class. Uh, so I I looked at the way that they handled his arc as that as being someone that was ignorant, that was taught to be a certain way and was raised in a certain environment. And once he was presented with other options and other ideas, he absorbed them and applied them and learned a new truth and altered his behavior accordingly. I also think that's great. You mentioned uh, macro versus micro here. Yes. I think that the the charm the charm of this movie definitely comes from their interactions. Mm-hmm. I think that... that uh, although for me a little bit unbelievable because um, I, I don't think that the sync thing was just him performing. I thought that was an actual representation of how he feels inside. Sure. But even if it, even if it wasn't, if it was just a performance, I do think that the interactions between him uh, and uh, why did I flip this over? Uh, Dr. Don Shirley, uh, who by the way, in real life was a psychologist. Uh, that's where the doctor comes from. Mm. They never addressed that, but that's why he was a doctor. Um, I think those interactions are very heartfelt and good. And there's a lot that if you, if you're not trying to dissect it too much can be a very positive and happy thing. Mm-hmm. My problem is when it, uh, I can't say too much like how the movie ends obviously yet. We'll get into that in the danger zone, but I think when it applies it to a larger scheme, like it, it backs up a little bit from just them. I think it oversimplifies a lot of things. And I think that's really problematic for what the movie's trying to say about race relations or just people learning to be people in general. I don't think every plot needs to like hold your hand all the way through it. And I don't think there needs to be a big revelatory moment where Viggo Morton's character is like, I don't like, I don't hate black people no more, but there is that moment a little there's, but it's not that on the nose. I'm going to write that down. Uh, uh, so I don't spoil it now, but I'm going to come back to that because, uh, I think, I think it is. And maybe we're just talking about different moments, but, uh, I will write that down. Yeah. I have never written this before. I don't hate black people. <laughs> Just going to put a little asterisk by that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. But we'll get into that, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I liked the plot of this movie because it wasn't, it was, it was simple. It was a very simple plot. I agree. But it also was not overly narrated. It was kind of just like the characters are acting out the plot. There's no narration of the plot. There's no really like in your face, like, well, this is what's happening with him. You know what I mean? Like, it, like, I'm like I think as far as like there's no na- like actual narrator saying that I would agree, but but all of the issues that these characters face are very apparent. Like there's no reading between the lines, and I think I'm only picking this apart extra because it's a nomination for the best picture of the year. Yeah, and we've had some killer movies this year that do have depth and explore like the interweavings of human nature and human relationships. And I and I feel like if you're gonna put this movie in that category, I want some of those qualities, like what I think makes a good movie, and that's that's my discrepancy. I think about this. I I think this is a good nomination for best picture. And I'll tell you why this is a great handling of these issues for the intelligence level of the general public of this country and the political climate in which we live. That's such an interesting point. Cause I agree. There's like a certain, we, we often on the show talk about who, who's the movie for, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, this movie is for like a certain, uh, brand of 
let's say average American um, that doesn't want to be, or maybe doesn't want to be seen as culpable for having uh, responsibilities or, or even like, like are not as okay with admitting that there's like a racial injustice in fundamentally in the system. Like don't want to contribute to it. Cause I feel like this movie simplifies is like, no, look, it's, it's the, okay, here's a point. Here's a, here's an example. You're going deep here, son. I know. Here's an example. Um, crime studies. A lot of people like to say that, um, crime is going up in the world. People have always said this, but if you ask people, they'll say crime in their neighborhood, just the same. It's actually probably gone down, but worldwide it's gone up and they'll blame that on whatever factor they want to. The point is looking at micro is easier for a lot of people than looking macro because you have to address these larger issues. And I think Mm -hmm. this movie is really good for the people who want to just look at it in a, in a microscope. I think it's a very effective, uh, I would say incorrect, but effective if you want it to be way of, of, of addressing that. Incorrect. I don't necessarily agree with because I I think personal growth for everyone comes on different scales. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's as woke as we like to think we are. Sure. Like I come from a background of rolling with some really rough people that were not very woke. And I didn't know anybody. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it took me becoming friends with people of different colors to realize that like those people that I grew up with were full of shit. Sure. sure. You know, the, the racism and the, the terrible jokes and stuff like they weren't funny. Yeah. Like, you know, you talk about lowest hanging fruit, like that's lower than that, you know, and it's just, it's breeding ignorance. So, I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, it took me getting to know someone of a different color to get over some of that stuff from my youth, you know, and I'm really happy where I'm at with my life now and like expanding my brain. And like, I think this movie really could help people maybe palette that. I do agree with that. I think for a lot of people, this will like, cause the, the average American has not seen like blind spotting for no. example, or maybe even black Klansmen. Yeah. Which I would argue are much more relevant and culturally uh, important movies about race relations than this one is. Yeah. Um, I think they deal with it more aptly, but to your point, like, this is a more approachable movie to a lot of people, I would assume. Well, and it's also a period piece in a time where racism and segregation yes. were the prevalent mindset of the country. Yeah, you mentioned Remember the Titans. Yeah. Which I think is a masterpiece it's of a so movie. It's so good. It's great. And I think that movie sets out to do a very specific thing in terms of the type of relationship it's trying to address racially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's consistent all the way through. Like we get a setup of characters. And I think it's just the inconsistency of. Uh, of Viggo Mortensen's character throughout this. Um, like I've given, there's a scene at a YMCA um, that I have up to this point been given by the movie, no reason to think he will tolerate in a, in a, I don't know, a socially acceptable manner, but he's weirdly cool with it. Mm-hmm. There's these like moments where he breaks through his like street smarts, uh, goofballiness and like has these really wise things to say. It just seems out of character to me. Like I, I think that, being okay with that scene was part of having street smarts. Yeah, that's true. And he makes a point to say something yeah, about that, which um, makes perfect sense. Yes. To me. I, yeah. That's probably fair. Um, but there's like moments like that. I think throughout the movie, um, especially towards the end, uh, like the last maybe 25, 30 minutes, um, where it just seems, seems uncharacteristic also. Well, I'll save it to the end. I can't say it anyways. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to get way deeper into why you didn't like this movie. Yeah. Because I, I really would not like to know some like some macro reasons. Sure. Like, overarching like the problems with this. And yeah. I'd like to talk about them. 
Yeah. I think so, that's a, a conversation that will be fueled well by maybe a second beer. Exactly. So I think this is actually a good place to take a break. I think we both expounded pretty fully on where we're at with this movie. So stick around uh, after the break. We're going to have our second and final beer, and we are going to get into the danger zone with the green book. Spoiler alert, everybody come right back. Feeling dangerous guys. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of danger here. Feeling wild. I was looking forward to taking a sip from my beer, but my beer is empty. So, oh, well, you should take a sip of our beer de Mel. It's perfect. Are we deciding Mel or meal? I'll say whatever I want. I don't even know what, like, we did a little bit of research just now. I think it's probably uh, Latin, uh, but I don't know. Beer de Mille. De Sounds Mille. very French. It translates to beer, we think, with honey. I think it's Yugoslavian, actually. Sure. Why not? I don't I don't know. 100%. But you brought this beer. It's called Glitter and Gold. It's from Perennial Artisan Ales out of St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a honey-type beer, ale thing. Yep. So tell me about it, dude. <laughs> All right. This is a Belgian-style ale brewed with honey. It is common out of perennial artisanal ales. I think, uh, wait, wait, wait. That's reserved for still water. You don't got to just throw artisanal. I like saying artisanal. I mean, I do too, but it's you can't just say it. Art, artisan yeah. ales. <clears throat> it's a Saison, farmhouse style, 6.5%. Let's see what they say. I just burped. <laughs> Is that from the website? Yep. I just burped. I just burped. Beer de Mille. Glitter and Gold is a Midwest beer de Mille, which is a beer that is a Saison style beer brewed with honey. That's what we learned. And it is brewed with Missouri wildflower honey, which sounds delicious and it sounds like it should go on a biscuit. Sure. What else is it brewed with? Uh, It's a good grip of spelt. Wait, Johnny, what's spelt? I've never heard of this. (laughs) It's a type of wheat. Here we go, everybody. (laughs) Spelled as a type of wheat, also often referred to as a dingle wheat. Yes, or or hulled wheat. It's been cultivated since about 5000 BC. It's a very old wheat, and if you want to have a good time at a party, you tell your friends this is a honey beer with dingle wheat. This is dingle wheat. Uh, it's a toast to the wedding of our good friends Chad and Ashley. Drink with the ones you love. Bottle conditioned. This is a big, big, big bottle. This is a was this a is this a bomber? Seven fifty. Seven fifty. Cool. And it's bottle conditioned. Yeah. So that's why it's a little bubbly. Okay. I just teared up. Ah, dinkle wheat. Oh my God. I'm going to treasure this. I'm just going to, if you're ever having a bad day, I'm just going to, hey, remember dinkle wheat? Just text me. Dinkle yeah, wheat, dinkle bro. Wheat. Oh, I love it. That's amazing. So we've had some good stuff from Perennial. I really enjoy Sump. I knew you were going to say Sump. Yeah, it's like their most famous beer. Right. This is a, is very honey forward. It's almost, it's almost uh, juicy. It's like a mead. Yeah, it's almost mead if it weren't for the pretty intense carbonation I'm getting mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of bitterness on the back end. This is a, it's an interesting beer for sure. So I'm again glad it's not super saisony, not mm-hmm. my favorite style. This is definitely more honey forward than it is maybe a like a Belgian yeast forward beer. It smells like wine uh, that you've soaked nickels in. Oh, you always have these very interesting descriptions that I would never think of on my own. Yeah, That's, it does sort of have a metallic kind of bitingness to it. I'm, the, that. I'm the color commentator. Yeah, this is a speaking of that, it's a very uh. Very pale, sort of straw-colored. It's a very pretty beer. Opaque beer, yeah. This is about as close as you can get to drinking a a cider. This is very cidery. Yes, it is. Uh, With its lightness and its apple notes, I get a ton of um, like a crisp red apple. Yeah. 
sure. right up front. Uh, it's a little bit metallic, like in the middle, which I find distracting. Yeah. I do like the honey up front. Uh, it reminds me of like a honey crisp apple, I think. If yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yep. Yeah, those those apples that are like $5 a fucking pound. Yeah. I bought one on accident thinking I'm like, I'll grab an apple for a snack. It's just like that's one just apple. Whole, it's like yeah. 50 cents. And they're yeah. like, that'd be six ninety nine. Excuse me? Yep. Yep. No. So, I mean, this beer actually might be cheaper than Honeycrisp apples. Yeah, and you get all the, uh, I don't know if this keeps doctors away. I think this would probably, if you drink enough of it, probably get you to a doctor. But you whatever. Won't, you Tastes won't like it. apples. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a pretty approachable beer. The Really, the only thing I don't like is the metallic. Is that the little metallic right in the middle. Yeah, it's like a little. Uh, it lingers on the back of your tongue. Yeah, I was going to say on the teeth a little bit. It's kind of got a little little bite to it. Um, not a flavor bite, but like a really kind of intense mouthfeel sort of. Uh, I want to. He want to say pithiness, but that's not correct. Like whatever the metallic equivalent of pith is, coppery. Yeah, yeah, like a yeah, uh, like an unwashed stripper pole. Ugh, I wouldn't have said that, <laughs> even if I thought it. <laughs> Those are things that I would say that Max yeah. wouldn't. Yeah, that's been our newest segment. <laughs> that's like the danger zone from the beginning, right? Uh, no, yeah, like that. Very, very, like like a white wine. This is white wine. With like a nickel in it, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, because white wine has that sort of appley, fruity, smooth, Definitely. almost champagney too. Yeah, this is that's a great descriptor of this. Is it's very champagney, very effervescent, um, super honey forward, but with that little bit of kind of coppery bite to the back end. I was going to ask you where you got this and how much too, if you don't mind. Telling yeah, I, I acquired this also at New Earth, uh, and it was in their clearance bin, so this was nine ninety nine. Great. Yeah. I wonder what the original. Uh, price was I, I would wager somewhere in like the 16 to 20 dollar range perennial is not cheap no i mean especially for the big bottles right yeah it's uh i don't know it's it's an experience to have this beer i don't know that i love it necessarily uh it's a beer where the belgian yeast notes are the best part oh really yeah i like that i wish there was more of it it would have balanced out the over the uh, top sweetness. It is really sweet. It's very sweet, yeah. but it's it's brewed with honey. It's supposed to be really sweet. So, uh, is that a a negative or is that being as advertised? I think it's just personal taste, man. For, I'm sure it's it's for me. It's both. Yeah, uh, it's probably as it's advertised, but I don't love it. So, okay. you know, uh, not a beer I'd go for again. Not for I mean, you know, ten bucks for this big bottle. I guess I wouldn't write off if it was delicious, but it was. Uh, so, it was at an appropriate price point to take a chance on. Yeah. So. Chances were taken. Uh, I'm not entirely disappointed with it. No, me like, neither. Like, we'll probably drink it. But in the the words of Young Maxwell, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. That's a great. Honestly, like people know me for that. Like I say that around a lot of people now, or I always have. And it's but it's like a really good just way of thinking. You know, I've drank a lot of beers that were worse. Sure, like a lot. Yeah, uh, this is not bad. I really do enjoy the appley characteristics of it. Uh, yeah, it's pretty too. approachable. Uh, we drank this at pretty much room temperature. I would almost say this one should be like real cold. This would probably be real nice if it was chilled. Yeah. And chilled down to about 40 degrees. Yeah, I think so too. It'd be nice. I would get my thermometer, but I uh, burned it. You melted it. Yeah. And we'll get into hot and bothered here in a second too. Yeah. You were both. What's that? Oh, hey. Ah! I was both. Yep. Uh, but anyways, let's uh, let's let's rate this beer. Huh. You want to? It's a difficult one. There's there's things I like about it, and there's things that I don't. Uh, I think the things I like about it outweigh the negatives. Really, the the main problem is it is it is sweet, but I can't really cite that as a problem because it's advertised as a beer with honey. Yeah. So uh, it's very middle of the road for me, but 
I mean, like I said, I've had a lot of worse beers, but that's not a fair judgment. Right. Um, it's middle of the road as far as saisons go. Um, if you're in the mood for a really sweet beer, that's like I said, very cidery, very kind of white whiny. Yeah. You could almost get away with putting this over ice and like making a cocktail with it or something. Yeah. I wonder about that, but that's, you can't do that. We got to rate it on what it is. I'm just saying like, that's where my head goes. And maybe that, uh, is a testament to its value as a beer by itself. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to just going to really, uh, be a centrist here and say five. Okay. I'm going to go four. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's fine. It, it's fine. It's, yeah. it's nothing to write home about. It's a beer. I'm happy. I tried. Uh, I'm going to check that shit into untapped. Yeah. So if you get a chance to drink glitter and gold from perennial artisan ales, uh, log it on untapped or let us know what you think on all of the social medias we listed at the beginning of this episode. At this time, we're going to move right along to a segment that used to be at the front of the show, uh, called hot and bothered. It's where we talk about something that's got us uh, really fired up or, uh, maybe not so happy about stuff. Yep. A thing like that this week. I'm hot. I'm I'm coming in hot. I'm ready. Go cool, hit me. We. Who's we? You and I. In California. Oh, all right. Well, still you and I. The people. Sure. In order to. Okay. Go ahead. For a free and just society. No. Sure. Um, I can't think of any other political speeches to start. Four there. score. And two days ago. Yes. We acquired distribution of Cigar City. Oh, yeah. And that has got me pretty damn hot. I love their beer. I have for a long time. I got to go to Oscar Blues in Colorado a few years ago with a work trip, and they had recently acquired Cigar City, and they were working on getting their brewery up to production capacity in order to fulfill the needs of the West Coast. And I feel, folks, that that time has come. That's right. We have fresh Highlight, we have fresh, what is their tropical pale ale, and mm-hmm. then like uh, Maduro, their brown ale, and you're going to start to see kegs of it around town, and it is here to stay, and we have permanent availability, and we can just go by Highlight and Maduro. Maduro's one of my favorite brown ales of all time. So, in case you're thinking, guys, wait a minute, on episode 96, you drank a Highlight and you said it wasn't very good. Let me remind you that that Highlight, spelled J A I, uh, Damn it. A-L-A-I. A-L-A-I uh, was past it, it past its prime, By to say lot. the least. Um, so I think we threw out that caveat in episode 96 when we covered A Star is Born. And there was also the promise that we would revisit it upon acquiring yes. a fresh can. So consider this the revisit. We have uh, our hands on what is about three-week-old cans, mm-hmm. and it's very good. I was drinking one throughout yes. the show tonight, and it's... yes. Uh, so good. It's on tap at a lot of places around town. I was at Burgers and Brew for lunch today. They have it. Um, I am pretty sure I saw it. I'm going to take a sip right now. Do it. Uh, I know the Chico Tap Room had a couple of theirs on, um, but you can find it everywhere. So go. it's like a 12. Uh, something no, like no more than 12 bucks for a six pack. Yeah, which I think is a great deal. Anywhere between $9.99 and 12 bucks, And that is a screaming deal. It's one of those beers that's on a lot of people's bucket lists. If you've never had it, go pick it up. You'll fall in love with it just like I did. So that's my hot is just getting a brand new brewery that I've loved for a long time here yeah. in my town. That shit makes me super hot. Do you have a bother this week? Um, Besides your face? That's very rude and uncalled for. I don't understand where that came from, <laughs> but if that's what you mean, then say it. No, your face never bothers me. Thanks, buddy. Um, I don't think I'm really... No. I'm good, man. Then I'm jumping in. All right. I will say it straight away. I am sick of the Coca-Cola commercial before the movies. This happens every time oh. they do one of these things. It's like um, 
the, yes. the, the pepperoni pizza. Yeah. So this is what they do. They right before the film starts, after the previews, they'll they'll play an ad from the sponsor. This in this case it's Coca-Cola. It almost always is. And the one they have right now, uh, in late January of 2019 is the one where the people go to the line and they start ordering condiments or food with condiments, and then like it'll splice in between. So like the first first one is like, uh, hey, can I? She's like eating a nacho, and she's like, nacho cheese. This is the best condiment. And then it flips over this other girl behind her. And is like, man, jalapeno. Boy, is that hot dog? And then it's another guy. Make that two hot dogs. Oh, anyway, sci-fi movies they never win any awards. And then the girl's like, this one will. Here, the aliens look just like pepperoni, oh, pepperoni pizza. pizza. Oh, it sounds great. Get me one. I'll go get a seat. I hear they're super comfy. It's like sitting on popcorn. popcorn. And it's in our brains. How fucked is it that I know all I of know. that? Um, and, and the point is, at the very end, nobody's ordered drinks. And at the very end. Uh, the, there's like four in a row. And this person goes, yeah, I'll, I'll take it with a Coke. And then someone says, I'll have a Coke zero sugar. And I can't imagine a world in which somebody actually orders a Coke zero sugar by saying Coke zero sugar. Like, no, this is not how people speak. No one says Coke zero sugar. Nobody says the sugar part. They say Coke zero. Mm-hmm. I don't even know who orders that, but the people that do, I swear to God, they don't say Coke zero sugar. I don't understand what the difference is between Coke zero and diet Coke. I don't either. It's, it's added to the list of things that are bothering me about this commercial. Point is, I've seen two movies in the past, like, 16 hours at the theater. And uh, I'm pretty sure people in the theater think I'm crazy because I'm saying it along with them. I do it, too. It's like Even I wrote that myself. script and I'm like, I'm going to see the movies to try to get nominated for my own Oscar for the pre-show ad. Mm-hmm. And nobody's having it. Nobody. I thought that one was very inventive at first, but I've seen it for months and I'm done. Yeah, I'm then you're it. just sick of it, dude. Yes. Yeah. So. I have a hot though. Also, I'm a little upset that like our, our theater doesn't have pepperoni pizza. No, but they have uh pretzel bites, which are, uh, I think better. And they do have 100% quarter pound Angus beef hot dogs, which are delicious. Yeah. You know, so they got, you know, different strokes for different folks. That's right. They say, um, my hot though, I mentioned earlier in the show that I almost watched the documentary on fire, but I found something else. Ooh, yes. Hit me. The thing that I found instead was a, is a Netflix original series called bird box sex education. Okay. It's a British. It's very good. It's on my list. It's so good. It looks hilarious. Um, it's very funny. It's the story. It follows this kid named Otis. He is a 16 year old kid. Um, his mother is a sex therapist and, and the series kind of explores that for one, but also he, he discovers a hidden talent for being able to kind of coach people through relationship problems. Hmm. Um, Otis is played by Asa Butterfield, which is a real name. All right. Um, and then he meets this girl named Maeve who is played by, if I can remember right, her, I think her name is Emma Blakey. Okay. Um, and she is sort of like the, the rebel at their school and, and they team up to do this kind of sex counseling thing. All the characters in this series are fantastic. I think it's the best character development I've ever seen in a Netflix original show. Really? It's hilarious. It's charming. I love all of them. Nice. Uh, I binged all eight episodes in like uh, 12 hours or something. Beautiful. Um, and I would highly recommend Sex Education. So if you have a chance, go watch it on Netflix. Dude, you snuck in a bonus flick pick in your hot section. Well, yeah. How dare well, you? Well, it's not a movie. So I feel like that was dedicated to Hot and Bother for me anyway. So I just, you know. Respect. You know. Can I shout out one more thing that I'm hot about? I suppose you may. Did Wait, are you done? I am done. I don't want to cut you off. No, that was good. Yeah. I'm going to watch that because it looked really it's good. It's fantastic. Did I talk about the uh, the podcast, The 500? No, you didn't, but I, is this happening again? Am I having deja vu? I told you about a podcast that we invented that you weren't there for, right? Called yeah, the 500. Yeah. All right. Well, we great. had, we talked about this podcast. Did I do it on the air? No. 
we were with somebody. We were at a goose. We were for, drunk. For the we were drinking. Event. Yeah, we were at our Patreon event. and We talked about this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Okay. So, anyways, I've been enjoying a weekly podcast with Josh Adam Myers, a stand-up comedian, called The Five Hundred, where every single week, him and a guest, usually a stand-up comic, go through the top five hundred. Uh, albums of all time according to a 2012 list put out by rolling stone magazine okay so every single week uh basically the homework for the week like we watch a movie he listens to a record like 20 30 times yeah and then does a podcast about it with someone that is a huge fan of the artist or record that they are covering that's so you get some really in-depth coverage they go deep into recording the album what it's about band facts uh and also it's really cool because uh, the hosts of the show are learning about music that they would never listen to, expanding their musical mm-hmm. horizons, mm-hmm. and listening to some timeless music made by like some of the best artists in history. So I've learned a lot. I listened to the Outcast record, Equemini, which I've never, never heard listened yeah. to in my life uh, because of that podcast. And a big shout out to them for helping me expand musical horizons. Love it. Yeah, go check. It's, it's everywhere. Podcasts Yeah, are. everywhere you can find podcasts. It's called The 500 with Josh Five Adam Myers. Zero. Yep. Cool. Great. Check it out. Check it out. Um, okay, so we're back to the danger zone. We're going to dive into Green Book. If you haven't seen Green Book, we're going to spoil it. Okay, so where we left off. Uh, I am not a fan of this movie. You are? Yes. Wanted to expound a little bit more on why. Let's go, man. Okay, I need to grab my phone because that's where I took my notes. All right. Um, is there anything else you want to say, or do you just want me to kind of dish out my opinions and then we talk about them? Well, I think I've made it somewhat clear enough yeah. that like why I like it. I mean, I don't. I'm I'm good. There's, okay. There's really nothing I need to spoil. Okay. So there's an article that I was reading just on the break, and I read it last night after the movie. It's on Vulture, um, and it's called uh, "Who Is Green Book For?" It was put out November 27th of last year. Um, and it sort of explores this idea of there being, uh, of this being sort of a, they say, uh, I want to get the quote right. I can't find it, but they said like a, but also like a, like a two-sided movie. Like the examples that they use are, um, yes, Viggo Mortensen's character is uncultured, um, and passively racist, uh, at best, but also Mahershala Ali is not like, like he's an, he's, he's, he's a haughty uppity kind of black man who doesn't even appreciate his own culture. And that makes him. Uh, somehow the same, which I think would be called a false equivalency in philosophy and uh, arguing, arguing, but whatever. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me either. Like, like there's all these moments where I'll just say them now. I guess we can. Um, Fucking say them, man. Yeah. So like, there's the YMCA scene where he is Marshall Ali's character is hooking up with another guy. Yeah, that's that's fair to mention that he's a, a gay yeah. man. Yes, um, and that's the only time that's ever really explored. But. Um, he is gay, and then Viggo Mortensen has to come kind of bail him out of that situation. Um, and there's lots of moments like this where uh, it's like if you've ever heard the term white savior complex, it's all over this movie. Um, I think it makes me mad that this movie is, jumping back to the Oscar stuff, um, kind of being fronted as like a a, a movie about people in black, or like a, it's like a black movie, but it's not. Like we talked a little bit about Black Klansmen. Um, blind spotting, sorry to bother you is a great example. Uh, if Beale street could talk, which I haven't seen, um, this article points out a lot of like the change in times, uh, today where you have sort of a diversifying of directors and actors and different types of stories being told. Um, and that we don't necessarily need to be sold this narrative anymore if you don't want it. So if you're a person that reacts badly to this kind of movie, there's multiple options. Um, 
I want to touch a little bit on the ending. <clears throat> so there's yeah. there's a point like we meet we meet uh, Doctor Shirley. He's uh, alone for one. He lives in the penthouse above Carnegie Hall, uh, which makes him uh, very sophisticated. But Super also, baller. Like like if you were looking at him from like an average Joe perspective, and you're the kind of person that says like media elite, that kind of person. Like he looks like a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> like he's better than everybody, and um, his apartment is very cultured. And he like that be like the ivory tower. Yes, the ebony tower, indeed. <laughs> um, yes, it's funny. There's a scene at the end where you see uh, he's. I'll just read my notes. So he has this like manservant butler named Amir, um, who helps him with stuff. I guess I don't know. Uh, carries his luggage at one point, and then they get home on Christmas. That's the thing. And Viggo Mortensen invites him into his, as we've already established, very racist kind of Italian family. Mahershala Ali knows better. He's like, nope, Merry Christmas, Tony. I'll see you later. He goes home. He's alone in his penthouse, except for Amir. Then he's like, all right, Amir, you go home. Spend time with your family for Christmas. Don't know if you caught this. In the background, there's like a che- there's a chessboard, but it's like all white pieces. He doesn't have black pieces, which I thought was uh, whatever, a little on the nose. Um, and he like gazes wistfully at his empty throne where he used to sit and thought like, this is what I thought I wanted. It's not. Um, and then we cut back to the dinner. Viggo Mortensen's home with his family. And then one of his, like, I think it's like his brother-in-law is like, Hey, how was, Hey, how was the trip? Like, how was it spending time with that jungle monkey? And then Viggo Mortensen like straightens up. He's like, Hey, don't say that. And then his brother does like one of these kind of looks it's like, Oh shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. All right. Never mind. My bad. Mm-hmm. It's all in the past. Marshall Ali shows up again. And then um, uh, he's like, this is the point where it occurred to me, like, I remember the glasses in the beginning, like could barely stand to own something that was ever touched by a black man. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, hey, what's up? And they hug. And then everybody is clearly in shock, which makes sense because there's a black man in their home. And Tony is hugging him. Yes. Yeah. And this should not go down the way it does. It's it's like it's, it's too much of a Hollywood moment. It's like. Everybody's like, well, pull him up a chair. We got spaghetti. Come on in, man. And it's like, all of a sudden, we are supposed to forgive these people for being pretty racist and probably judgmental and shitty people. Uh, and it's like this big celebration and like a tidy bow. Like, oh, we're not racist. And we've, we fixed racism. Uh, I think that last scene was done very poorly. I don't think they even had to do all that. I don't think that's what the movie should have been about. It would have been nice if they would have ended it with like him opening the door and Mahershala Ali just being there. Yeah. And like, then like end credits. Yeah. That would have been, been nice. fine. Or even like they honestly could have ended it for me where the car ride ended. They get home safely and they at least, and that would have kept it micro enough. I think. Yeah. Like that's what we dealt with. I also liked the, the exposition of the loneliness that both of them were feeling after being just the two of them on the road yeah. for several months Yeah, that like they get back and then they realize like f- from both of their perspectives, like, uh, Viggo Mortensen's character is with his family, but like misses his friend and is like yeah. kind of alone in that regard because right. he doesn't have the duties spent all this time with. And then you have um, Mahershala Ali's character mm-hmm. feeling alone because he has chosen a life of isolation and like realizing yeah. like he's made a friend and like, I don't know. I liked the way they played off that kind of emotional um, aspect of that. Like the, the view of, Missing someone that you've shared an experience because mm-hmm. you've been sure. on the road. Like, yeah, being I mean, on the yeah, road with a people very relatable is, feeling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I kind of liked the way that they captured that, but I will concede the point that all of a sudden his whole family being like, "Pull him up a chair," like, is like, come, like, come on, it's a little much. But I feel like I don't. I won't say they get away with it, but I feel like 
like Tony vouched for him. He must be one of the good ones or something. I, I don't know. And like that goes back to the point that like the article was was specifying that Tony gets to gets to understand why uh, he shouldn't be racist at least about this one guy because like Mahershala Ali goes above and beyond. Like he impresses him with his yeah his. He even makes a point. He, Shirley does throughout the movie. Like I think it's like at a show when they're playing in the South. Um, he's like, why do you like? He says, I'm like, I have to be like, we have to be better. Like you can't take the low road. You have your dignity and that's it, mm-hmm. which is very poignant. I think that's, that's a really compelling stance to take. Um, just to be like, you have to be better than the people that would bring you down kind well, of thing. And throughout the movie, he encourages Tony to not solve problems with violence. Yeah, totally. Like there's a lot of good messages. Yes. Like I, I get that there's a lot of, like, I'm not super familiar with the white savior thing, but maybe that means just. Cause I am one. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's, I think it's just the idea that like, uh, like black people are successful or, or, or can manage or get by or, or helped out of tricky situations because a white person comes and saves them. And that happens. I can think of like three in this movie, at least. The thing is though, he basically hired him for that. That's true. It's a, it's a good workaround. And can I just reiterate that this is a true story? And yes, they were real people, and this yes. really happened. This yes. isn't fiction. No, I mean a white savior thing is a real thing. And yeah, I, I wouldn't dispute the fact that that's what happened in this storyline, but it's also um, a thing. It's a it's a trope in storytelling, both in fiction and nonfiction, um, that happens a lot. And I, I just think like the things they focused on in this movie, like it's so obvious in this movie when there's a bad racist kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Because like, nobody, like, it's the same as Remember the Titans, really. Like, you have... Uh, they painted clear pictures. Yeah, like, what's the guy? I don't know. It doesn't matter what his name is. But the other buddy, the football player who's, like, obvious. I'm not playing with this coon or whatever he says. Yeah. Like, the coach, like, that kind of stuff. It's like, everybody, nobody in the world outside of, like, KKK people or openly racist assholes are going to defend those people. That's This is a more nuanced problem. Yes and no. Because you you have to uh, take in the fact that this was a different period in time, but it's not because it was put out in 2019. Like you no, can tell like, the story differently. Yeah, you can. But like there were people that openly racist and there were people that defended him yes. in that time period and yes. in that part of the country. Sure. So like that shit is not that outlandish. No. And I, I think that would be fine except for the way that this movie ends and the way that it deals with sort of the larger issues, like not the larger issues, but this issue in a larger sense, like racism in a larger sense. Um, it's like, it's like we're, they're only concerned with taking on the people that are openly racist. And I think that's not the problem. And the climate that this movie comes out in is very important. You can't take the the context away from this. Like it's the same reason I think black Klansman is so influential is because it came out when it did. Yeah, obviously for sure. Um, and, and if you're going to release this movie in this time, when people are a little bit uh, more aware of things, you have to address those things. Most in the movie. Some people agreed are yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would, I think, it was nice because change happens one person at a time. Yeah. Like it's true. Every person has to change their own mind for themselves. You can watch movies and watch propaganda and absorb macro ideas, but this movie encapsulates the idea. And yeah, it's from a white person's perspective and maybe it's for white people. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to testify to that, but I do know that your mind is the only one that's going to get changed in your life and change happens one person at a time. Mm -hmm. And it's important for individuals to sit down and talk to people that don't look like them. Agreed. And like, I think this movie 
encapsulates that and it maybe doesn't handle the broader issues of race and culture the best, but I think it really does portray personal relationships and personal growth in a positive way. And it might not be the best movie, but that's a good thing to promote. I agree with all that. I think the problem that I have is that when you have something painted so black and white, pun intended, I suppose, um, <laughs> you, like you have these obvious bad guys and it's almost, it's almost being dismissive of the more passive racism that happens throughout this movie. Um, and, and I think for people looking on that might be contributing to that system, it's easy to be like, oh, well, clearly I'm not the problem. I'm not a one. I'm not the person telling a black person he can't use my bathroom. Mm-hmm. I'm not contributing to this at all. And I think it's almost like a backdoor getaway for a lot of people. Um, that may not even realize they're getting away with it. Like, oh, I'm not that bad. Exactly. Like, I'm not clear. Oh, I'm not in the KKK. Like, that's, I've heard people say that about black clans. I'm like, well, I'm not in the KKK, so I'm not racist. Like, okay, you're not that, like, you're not that. No. But it's not, you still got to address the other things. And I think with something as sensitive as race relations in the year that we're in, you can't, back to the Oscars, like, you have so many movies that I think deal with this issue better. Uh, that I think this shouldn't be in the running, but that's me. This year? Uh, yes. What movie? Sorry, I mean like this season, the Oscar season. Yeah, no, but like this year for Best Picture, what movies deal with race better than this? Well, one? that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think this one should be up there. I think, uh, let me look up the, the Best Picture nominations. I'm just, if there's a nominee out there that deals with race better, I'd like to promote that movie. Totally. Um, nominations. I want to make sure I get all of them. Um, but like, oops. Uh, enter. So not that, not that black Panther is not correct, but cause a black Klansman's in the running and that's it. Um, but I would have loved to see blind spotting. I think it's a great movie that deals with modern day race relations. Granted, this isn't a modern day movie. This is in the sixties, but yeah, uh, there's a balance between, um, historical accuracy in this issue, but also making it relevant to today. Like mm-hmm. black Klansman also in the sixties or seventies or whatever. Yeah. But it feels relevant. It feels like it addresses the issues with some form of nuance and, and delicacy that I think this movie lacks. So you said movies plural, but like as far as the nominees go, you are saying that Black Klansman deals with race and race relations better than Green Book. Definitely. But my bigger point is Green Book doesn't deal with it as well as uh, Sorry to Bother You does or Blind Spotting. I think that shouldn't be in the running if it's, if it's in the running as a race relations type movie which I feel like it has to be based on the way it's set up. And if you want to call it a buddy cop movie, that's not a buddy cop, but a buddy, buddy drama, whatever, buddy dramedy. That's fine too, but you can't get away from the subject matter. And the subject matter is race relations. And it's not dealt with in a real adult complex way. Certainly not as much as the other movies that I mentioned are. And that's what makes me mad about it being in the running. Hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to respectfully disagree. And I I think it dealt with it in a very palatable way. Um, like very, I'm not going to say watered down. I'm going to say distilled. I feel like you're just avoiding the word simplistic. Is it? I mean, yeah, in a lot of ways, which is not necessarily but also, bad, but when you look at a movie like black Klansman, which is taking on uh, the KKK, which is like a national organization, it is a different look at the same problem. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that's definitely sort of a macro approach. Well, kind of. I mean, that movie still does interpersonal things, except it just deals with the head of the KKK. Yeah. Uh, which in and of himself sort of is a macro figure. Right. Um, sorry to cut you off. Yes. I so, I mean, it just, it's, obviously both movies are very important, and I'm not taking away from either movie. I think it's looking at kind of the same thing 
in completely different lenses. I mean, you're looking at a movie made by the guy that let's look at like Spike Lee's film record and let's look at Peter Farrelly's I know, record. like he has no, yeah. You're yep. going to have some very, very different perspectives. And it's fair to mention that Green Book was directed by a white man and Black Klansman was directed yes. by a black man. Yes, and I think the tone shows like it's this, Again, could you describe if I don't know the answer to this, but like the demographic of people in your viewing of this movie, or did you tell me this? I think you I this. went to the theater and there was two old white couples and me. I went to the theater and there were probably double that, also old white couples. There were black people in the theater when I went to see Black Klansman. Yeah, it's a different. It's made for which goes back to the yeah. Vulture article. Who was this movie made for? I don't want to have this delineate into an argument about which movie is right. I think both movies can be looked at as good and possibly influential and enlightening in their own ways. I think they're both good. And I think you should see them both really. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, the first part of what you said, I think you can like, glean things from both of these movies that are worthwhile. I agree with that. Um, I don't think they're on the same plane. I think black Klansman is head and shoulders above this movie. I would also say, or maybe ask who do you think was the stronger performance in this between the two stronger performance as an actor? Mahershala Ali or Viggo Mortensen? Who did you feel was the more compelling? Uh, Mahershala Ali. Me too. Yeah. Uh, kind of makes me mad that he's not up for the best actor. He's best supporting yeah. actor. I, I was wondering why he was. Because the movie's not about him. It's about Viggo Mortensen not being racist. So well, that's kind of racist in and of itself. How do you mean? Why? Like the fact that Viggo's for best actor and he's not, that's kind of. That goes back to like what you were saying about like the white savior thing, isn't it? Like, well, I mean, I, I why would, is he the best actor for trying to figure out a black man when the black man is being a complex character that is worth figuring out? Well, yeah, I mean, I think like, um, I think that's kind of, I think it depends what the, I feel like best actor is often derived from who the movie's about and watching the movie. Um, at least at first I thought it was going to be about Mahershala Ali's character. Yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't, but even still, I think he had more. I think he did a better job than Viggo Mortensen. Well, like, I think he was actor or he, whatever. He was a more complex character. I mean, his arc didn't go through as much. Uh, it, it was a less magnanimous character arc, but it was still more interesting. Mm -hmm. I think. I don't know because he was such a complex person who was very intelligent. Yeah, it, yeah, and he was a black homosexual in the '60s, which is crazy. Like, yeah, this, yeah. this movie should be about him. Yeah, and it isn't for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. I will bet if this movie were made by Spike Lee, it would probably have been about Mahershala Ali's character. Totally. Again, who is a much more fascinating character study to me. Uh, a gay black psychologist who is a piano savant. Touring the South in the 60s. I'm so, in, I'm wait, so wait, wait, into that story. Touring the 60s by choice. Yeah. Like, or touring he went, the South. He went out to go make a difference versus, I'm going to go ahead and say average Joe uh, bodyguard driver who learns not to be as racist. Yeah, I, like I don't know. It does. It's not even a decision to me. Like I'd if way that's, rather watch if it. If that's movie. your main gripe with this movie, I'm down with that. It's one of my main. It's a like big I one. I agree with that, but because yeah. I super felt that Mahershala Ali's character was way more interesting and like he was captivating. Every the time. drinking problem too came out of nowhere. Like that. Anytime you throw a drinking problem at a smart person in a movie, I'm in. That's a very that's perplexing to me and very worth studying. Yeah. I think. Can you imagine like how that felt going through the? What a crazy, crazy, crazy dude. I think this movie, I'm happy it was made. I'm happy Black Klansman was made. I liked them both. I, yeah. Well, so yeah. I don't fully understand why you didn't like this movie. 
Maybe we'll talk. I mean, yeah, we can talk about it. I'm sure this this will come up again at some point. This oh, is, I think this conversation's far from over because yeah. I think, I mean, I'm not saying you're like wrong and I hate you for it. But it's just I'm curious. Like the I want to get into this deeper. I'm not saying I'm wrong and I hate you for it either. I would never hate you. No, obviously. Yeah. Um, if a movie comes along that we're so divided <laughs> so on polarized. that we end up hating each other, watch and, that movie, and that's why the podcast ends. Yeah. God. Well, look, man, that'd we be got, a great movie. Yeah, we got bonus content to do. Uh, I think this has been a very interesting discussion. Yeah, at the obvious, very least. Obviously, it's it's polarizing, and the movie's one hundred percent worth a watch. Whether you side with me or Max, sure. I would love for all of you to make your own minds up. Uh, yeah. We're going to wrap this up. So, if you watch this movie and you have an opinion, please share it with us. Yeah. Uh, Max, where can they find us? All the social medias. Give them the rundown one more time. All right, guys. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can send us messages or comment or like our stuff or whatever you want to do. Uh, you can also email us at fhccast at gmail.com. You can find us for beer stuff. Maybe you had a quarter panel from Gilman Brewing or maybe you had Glitter and Gold from Perennial. Find us on Untapped. Or like Johnny said, maybe you saw Green Book. Find us on Letterboxd. We'll have our reviews and ratings for this movie logged, as well as uh, countless other ratings for movies that we've done on the show and maybe we will do in the future. Um, if you really, really, really like our show and you want to be part of really cool events or you want to have exclusive bonus content where we talk about all sorts of stuff, just go over to Patreon. Check it out. It's patreon.com slash cinema. It's like it's a couple bucks a month. You can set it to two episodes if you want. You can give us $4 a month if you want. Uh, it makes the show continue to be produced. It's a really good time, and we would love you forever. Rate us, review us on iTunes. Uh, until next week, I'm Johnny Summers. I'm Max Minardi. And we are Fresh Hop Cinema. Good night. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.